0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.
1: Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading will be coming from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Um, You can follow along on the screen behind me. There's also Bibles underneath your chairs um, on page 942. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith. Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated.
0: So here's what we believe as Christians. So uh, if you're here in this, in this room, we're all at different stages in life, all in different places, right? Uh, there are some of you guys in here, and you, you're, you're a Christian, and maybe you've been a Christian a while, but man, your walk with the Lord is going really strong, it's going really great, and that is awesome. Uh, there are those of us here who are going through suffering, and, and, and here's the truth, and again, not to be morbid like uh, Tyson was saying, but here's the truth, I once heard a preacher say this, and it, I found it, uh, now 42 years old, and have been walking with the Lord for a long time, here's something I've found to be true, uh, is that every single person in this room, uh, we are either in suffering, going through suffering, or about to go through suffering. That's really good news, right? But that's just the human condition. As great as life often is, that that's the human condition. We are all either in suffering, going, coming out of suffering, sorry, in suffering, or about to go into suffering. That's sort of where where we are. And so some of you are in here and you're actually, you are, you are really suffering right now. Maybe you're physically suffering. Maybe you're going through some difficult time in your your family or in your work or something else. Like you're really suffering. It's hard for you right now. Some, some of you are like, man, I'm... I, I'm a Christian and I'm here, but in my walk with Jesus, I really feel like he's far away. It's really faltering. I'm barely walking with him right now. And I don't even know where, I, where he and I stand together right now. Uh, some of you are here in this room and, and you're would be like more of a skeptic or you're here just trying to like experience, like what is this Christianity thing about? Here's a message for, for all of us here this morning. Here's what we believe as Christians. We believe that the gospel changes everything, uh, absolutely everything. We believe that the gospel changes everything. And, and that's because what we believe as Christians is that the gospel uniquely and supremely addresses, hear, hear that, the gospel uniquely and supremely addresses the deepest problems of mankind and this whole entire world. The gospel supremely and uniquely addresses the greatest problems of humanity. And, and here's what we mean by that. Because the term gospel, is not just a Christian term, it's an old term, and it means good news. It would usually mean when a, a great victory had been won by the ruler of a land, and they would send uh, evangelists to go out to proclaim the good news of the victory that had been won on behalf of the whole entire country by the king and his army. They would send out people who would herald, heralders that would say, here is what the king has done. This is the good news of what has happened. And so here's what the gospel is. As we as as Christians, when we say the gospel, it means the good news of what God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, to save men and women and redeem all of creation. Well, let's run over that again. Here's what we mean by the good news the good news or the gospel is the news of what God has done. Hear that. It's not advice about how you get right with God, it's not advice about how you can be a better person. It's not advice about here's what you've done and here's how you can make up for what you've done as a human being. It's good news of what God has done through Jesus to save men and women and redeem or fix all of creation. That's what the gospel is. Now, if that's true, if the gospel is good news about what God has done in Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection to redeem all of creation and save men and women, then that has incredibly far-reaching effects. It, 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 so any other news that you may hear? Uh, I'm not gonna have you raise your hands, but some of you are in here or you're, you might, maybe you're a Chiefs fan or maybe you're a 49er fan. I'm gonna re- wear red tonight to the party that I'm going to, so I'm gonna like come out good on either way, but you know, it, maybe you're you're a fan of one of those teams and, and tonight when that their, your team wins, that will be incredibly good news for you, but it'll only reach so far in your life. Now, some of you may read, like have heard like, really amazing news that had incredibly far-reaching effects in your life. Like news, hey, honey, look at these three lines on this little test I bought. And whether you thought it was good news or not at the time, that is has incredibly far-reaching effects on your life. Uh, you, maybe you got it, received a call like, hey, you're, your rich uncle has passed away, or hey, those numbers that you put on that card, like, they've come through, and you've, like, you have a windfall of cash coming your way, and those incredibly good news that would have far-reaching effects of your life, but even the best, biggest news that each of us have received, that we have heard, it only reaches so far, right? Like, when we got the news uh, in May that a two-week-old daughter was going to be arriving at our house in 48 hours, that had incredibly, that was great news, and it had incredibly far-reaching effects in our household. It had been, just to give you an idea, I love that uh, you guys are probably, hear, some of you are tired of hearing this, but to give you an idea, the last time we had an infant in our house was the same year that the iPhone came out. So, let me tell you, Broken sleep at age 42 is a way different story than broken sleep at 40. I was up last night at two o'clock and then again at five o'clock because our daughter maintains that she wants to eat every three hours, even though we tell her she should be able to last for the whole entire night. That good news has had incredibly far-reaching effects on my life, upon my sleep-deprived life, and those around me who have to deal with sleep-deprived Randy, who, by the way, Randy with lots of sleep, is not the best guy in the world. Randy's sleep deprived is, man, we're, we're in the bottom 50% at that point. But it has incredibly far-reaching effects on me and on my people around me and our family, like deep, far-reaching effects. But still, there's parts of our life that it, it doesn't change, it doesn't affect. like my. If you've received, if you've come into a great windfall of cash, maybe you've gotten a great job and you had a big raise, or maybe you had a—I don't—I don't have any rich uncles, so I will—I ne- don't have it, hold out any hope that's going to happen. But maybe you've had a rich uncle die and you had a great windfall of cash. You know what you have discovered? That is good news and has changed a large extent of your life, but it hasn't changed the very core of your being, because nothing no matter how good that news may be, no matter who you married, how many kids you had, how much money you suddenly had in your bank, nothing fixes the core problem of any of us, right? Nothing fills that hole. Nothing fixes that deep inner longing that we have for something more, this sense that something's not quite right with me and with this world. But what we're saying is that because the gospel comes through and fixes the deepest problem of humanity, it changes everything. And that's because Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, and all their heirs since then have by choice and by nature have sinned. That means that we have all been committing and have committed treason against a good God and we are eternally separated from him. And, and here's what that means. That means every single human being is both un, unable and unwilling to bridge the gap between us and God. We are both unable and unwilling to bridge that gap. We don't want to bridge it and even if we could, we have no idea how to make it right between us and him because we're unable to undo what has been done. We can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So the gospel is the news that mankind can be changed and God has done something to fix that deep problem of that separation and it is incredibly powerful. It's so powerful that it changes Everything. Let's look back and before our passage today just to get an idea about what the gospel is. Verse 24, if you have your Bibles or your apps, you can pull them up. Verse 24 and 25 of chapter 4. It starts off with saying, But for ours also. Now it says, It will be counted to us. It's now talking about faith will be counted to us as righteousness who believe in Him. Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification so that's a little summation of what the gospel is first of all it says how is it powerful how is the, how is the gospel powerful because it's the story of how mankind can be justified or brought back into right standing with God and it says that that happens first of all it will be counted to us as righteousness who believe it's, it's laying out what Paul, been laying out in Romans when he says that this righteousness that is a gift to us can be accessed only by grace through faith alone. Nothing that we can do by grace through faith alone and is offered to us as a free gift. You know what that means? It means it's a gift that you don't earn. You cannot earn it. You would not earn it if you could, but it's offered to us as a free gift. Again, it's news of what God has done in Jesus for us. And it comes to us and says, here's what I have done for you. You are separated. You are far worse off as a human being than you ever thought that you were. But in Christ, we're going to get there, you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. And I offer offer you a right relationship, justification, reconciliation with me to be justified, to be declared not guilty. Not just say, I'm going to let you by, but say, I'm saying that your whole record has been expunged. It never happened as a free gift to you. That is the offer of the gospel. That's the offer to every single one of us in this room. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I don't know what heinous things that you have done. I don't know what thoughts you've thought. I don't know what deeds you've done, what things that you have said. You know what? Every single one of us have things that we have said, things that we have done that we deeply regret, but once you put it out there, you can't undo it, right? We all, as human beings, we all share that feeling of what it's like to have done something to somebody else and once it's done, you regret it, you feel horrible about it, but you can't undo it. You can't pull those words back. You can't pull that night back. You wake up next to that other person and you can't undo what you've done. It's already done. And you have no way to undo it. Here's what the gospel says, it says, through what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, I, God says, I have offered to you free justification to cleanse you, to cleanse your record, to cleanse your conscience of the things that you have done against me, against God, and against your fellow man. A free gift of grace to those who believe. Who raised the dead? Who raised from the dead? Jesus, our Lord. You hear that? The gospel said. Is inherent in the gospel is the story of resurrection, life, and power. That He raised. What is the thing that we as human beings fear more than anything else? In fact, all of our fears that we have as human beings are based in this one fear: it's so a fear of death it looms over all of us, we don't know what to do with it. Every fear that we have, you know what, I'm afraid of heights, and honestly, it's not because it's just high, though it freaks me out, it's because, it's because of what could happen from me being way up there, right? All of our fears are somehow tied back to this fear of death that hangs over all of us as human beings. And here's the story of the gospel is that God raised from the dead Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he offers us resurrection life. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is made available to raise us as well as believers who was delivered up for our trespasses. In other words, he was paid, he paid his death that was, he was delivered up to paid our debt as a substitute and raised. Jesus was raised for our justification. That justification means, again, that we were declared not guilty. Now, notice, we mentioned this last week, but notice, what is the wording of all of this that we just, like, he was, it was counted to us as righteous who believe, who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. Now, what, what is the wording in this passage saying? What role do we as human beings play in what we just, what we just read about, the gospel? You know what role we, role, role we play? Nothing. It's all things that God did that we could not and would not have done. It's all done by God. And that's why we say it's good news. Now, what this is saying is, before we go on, what this is saying is, is that Jesus Christ was a historical Figure. He was both 100% God and 100% man and he died to, as a substitute for all of us for our sins that we have done and he was raised again for our justification and he was raised again so that we might experience resurrection. And what that means is that the, what accomplished the gospel is the news of something that was the, has have objectively been done, right? That has been done as a historical fact that Jesus lived. He died and he rose again. It's an objective historical truth. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. And what this is saying is that, what we're getting ready to see is that that objective truth of what Jesus did creates then a subjective truth that we as Christians experience. Let's look at chapter five, verse one. Therefore, so that therefore, the reason we spend this time is that therefore is pointing to what we've just been talking about the ground of the gospel, what has been done by Jesus for us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we've been justified by the work of Jesus Christ and us placing our faith in that work, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's what that means that means that the powerful work of justification that Jesus accomplished at the cross and his burial and his resurrection creates these effects. Here's the first effect it creates. It means that we as Christians have peace with God. We as Christians have peace with God. There's this picture back in the garden before sin happens where Adam and Eve are living in the garden and there's what's called the the Jewish concept of shalom or peace. It means there was wholeness. It means everything was right. It means they, they were walking around, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Adam and Eve, they weren't fighting and bickering back and forth. There was no jockeying for position between them. In fact, it says that it was the habit of God to come down in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve would walk with God. God in the garden in the cool of the day. God gave them a job. He said, go and be fruitful and multiply. He said, go and subdue the earth. He, he told them they, they went out and they started naming the animals. They had a job to play. They were the rulers, if you will, of creation, the apex of God's creation, the one part of creation that was created in his image. All creation created good, but they were created in God's image and there was shalom or perfection or peace. And it's that that every single one of us long for but whenever they sinned all of a sudden boom they started blaming god and they started blaming each other and they started hiding from god and hiding from each other and the results of their sin were that all of a sudden that the this earth that was created good that they were in union and harmony with now even to create, to, to, to grow food and to do their jobs is going to be by the toil and sweat of their brow. The, the ape, the, the woman who was created to, to beget life and create heirs, all of a sudden, her greatest glory in creating life and in begetting heirs, all of a sudden it said hey, well, it was going to come in pain our work, everything that we were created, the best things that we were created for, well, all, all of a sudden I'm gonna be based in this, in this pain, and this toil, and the sweat of our brow because we were separated from God. There was no peace, there was no shalom between us and God and us and each other. And here's what happens through Christ. We are, brought, we are made to be brought into peace with God. We now have reconciliation with God. The work of Christ on our behalf, when we place our faith and trust in it, it creates a reconciliation. We are reconciled to God. And maybe some of you here, you've uh, you have a friend and maybe you had a falling out. Maybe they betrayed your trust, you betrayed their, your, their trust. Or maybe you had a romantic relationship or a marriage or a family, or a mother to, to daughter or, or parent, you know, siblings back and forth where there's been something to happen that fractured your relationship and there hasn't been peace there. And then one day you finally go through and you talk things out and all of a sudden you, you're reconciled to each other. You remember that feeling of being reconciled and brought back into fellowship with somebody that you had been and separation from, can you imagine what it means to be reconciled to God? That your almighty creator God who created you, who you were at war with in your soul to all of a sudden to be brought back into a right relationship with him. But it, it doesn't just mean like, hey, we're ceasing hostilities between me and you. It means this, it means the friendship of God is offered to us as believers. You hear that? God doesn't just say, hey, I've forgotten all the wrong things that you've done. You can come in and like you're hiding over in the corner of his household. You've been brought into friendship with God. In fact, even closer than that, it says that you've been brought in as a son or daughter of God. We now call God our father. Jesus, our older brother. God offers you through Christ, not just a ceasing of hostilities, but a friendship. And he, has, he brings you near to himself. We have a peace with God, a God-made peace between him and us. And from that flows all these promises, all these truths that we're getting ready to look at. The effect of the work of Jesus Christ means that we have peace with God. But then look at this also in verse two. We have peace with with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by by faith into this grace in which we stand. The the picture there is this picture of uh, someone who has been locked out of the temple or locked out of the presence of a king because it's something that you've done. You've been set outside, and you needed somebody to, to introduce you to bring you back into the presence of that king or bring you back into the temple. And what this is saying is that Jesus Christ, who left heaven, came after you and came after me in order to bring you, introduce you, give you access back into, when it says this grace, it's this picture of the favorite place of the king. Uh, you, you, the, Jesus Christ has come and brought you in and introduced you and given you access into this place of favor, this favored place with this king, this sphere of grace, this privileged position with him. You, if you're a Christian, have not only had peace made between you and God, but you have been given access or introduction and invitation. You've been brought into a place of privilege with God. That's not theoretical. That's not like something that happened that we read about here, but it's in truth, you, if you are a believer in Christ, there's been peace made between you and God and you've been given by Jesus himself. Nobody less than Jesus Christ The Son of God has given you access back into the presence of the Father. And not only that, it says that we've been given access and we stand in this grace. We've been obtained access into this grace in which we stand. We haven't just been given invitation to come in. We've been given an invitation to come in and a perfect standing that doesn't go up and doesn't go down. See, it was a pretty tenuous position to be in the good graces of a king. Because if you say something wrong, if you cross him, if the king is a Chiefs fan and you show up wearing a 49ers jersey, all of a sudden, like, you can be, like, you are thrown out. You are are no longer have access to this place of privilege that you once had. But you know what the gospel says? It says that, Through the work of Jesus Christ, we've been given access and standing in the privileged position of Jesus Christ, in the privileged position of our Father. And you know how we have access to that place? Because Jesus' substitutionary death, not not only did he substitute stand as a substitute for our penalty of our sin, but he now stands as our substitute in the presence of the Father. So all the standing that he has before him is given and is poured out and covers us. Nothing you have done and nothing you will do can separate you from the love of God. Our God our Lord nothing nothing some of you cussed out your spouse on the way over here some of you did some terrible things last night some of you came in feeling weighed down by sin here's the news to you if you're a believer in Christ now if you're not a believer in Christ you're outside of this privileged position with God where the free offer of grace to you says, bow your knee and come into what Christ has offered to you. But no matter what you've done, if you're a believer, no matter what you did, the moment before you walked in those doors, no matter what you're thinking about right now, you have not been lowered in his estimation. You've been not kicked out of his presence because you didn't make your way into his presence by your work. You made your way into his presence through Christ's work on your behalf and you stay there. You have standing with God continually because of Christ's work on your behalf. And you know what that creates? Look at the end of verse two. We've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And what does that do? And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It creates rejoice, rejoicing. That, that wording there in the original is not just rejoicing, it has to do with boasting. It says we, it creates and stirs in us as believers rejoicing and boasting because I didn't make my way there. i told the story before. Uh, uh, my first transatlantic flight, uh, I, was, I was just a kid country guy from the middle of nowhere and we're traveling to India and that's a whole other story. But this one part of the story, we got bumped from a flight and we weren't sure if we are gonna be able to make this next one. And man, we were just, we're sitting on pins and needles. We're 16 of us and 10 of us make it onto the plane. By the way, also including our intrepid leader who decides he's gonna get a, a seat on the plane. And it's like us, like kids, like teenagers that are sitting there outside in the waiting room wondering, are we gonna miss this flight? And we were on, we were, were like, if we miss this flight, are we going to be able to make, I, we didn't know what we were doing. How are we going to, even? I don't know if we can make it through the airport. I don't how are we going to make it to India? We're sitting there and finally they come out to us and say, we have some seats for you. Come on in. There were six of us. And we walk into the plane and we're following the lady and she says, here's your seat. Here's your seat. Here's your seat. Here's your seat. They were in business class. Now I don't know if you ever sat in business class before. Uh, some of you have. Uh, that's not my. That's not the world that I live in, nor the world that I grew up in. And we sat down in business class. Let me tell you, like we're sitting by these people who are like, "Well, you paid for to be here, or you travel a lot, you're able to sit up here." And, and I'm looking at them, and I'm a little kid, and I don't know what's coming. And the lady walks through, and she's, "Warm nuts," and comes to like offer me this warm. Warm towels. She comes through. Would you like a mimosa? And I'm like, What is happening here? And I'm looking back, like down the aisle, and our people are sitting out there, crunched back in in coach. And all of a sudden, like my seat goes all the way back, and my. I got plenty of room. She comes and offers me a a blanket. And I'm like, this is, she brings me a menu and says, what what would you like to eat? And I'm looking at those like steak and all these choices back there where they're eating like rice-a-roni or whatever. They're serving them back there. And I'm I'm having like a three-course meal that I get to choose from. And I'm like, this is amazing. But you know what? I had trouble enjoying the first half of that trip because I kept expecting somebody to walk up to me and say, "Uh, excuse me, sir you know you don't belong here right let's go back to the back of the of the bus where you where you belong back there with the with the plebes back there until i realized nobody's going to come and do that this is my seat Here's the truth, Christian. If you are a believer in Christ, you are no second-class citizen. Nobody's coming to take you out of the presence of God. You are there forever, and you know what we have to boast about? Not that anything that we have done have got us there, but we boast in the work of Jesus Christ that placed us there. It's free and clear. I didn't earn my way here. I can't earn my way into this room and I can't earn my way out of here. And that creates a boasting and a rejoicing that wells up from deep down inside of us. And it's a hope of glory. You know what that means? Because of what I know what Christ did 2,000 years ago, I know what he's gonna do, and I don't know whether it's gonna be tomorrow or 2,000 years from now, but I know he's coming again in glory to rule and reign and redeem creation. And because of what he objectively did then, I know what he's gonna objectively do then in the future, and I rejoice in a hope of glory. Because he's coming again. And here's what I know. He's coming again in glory, and he's going to rule and reign. He's going to showcase his nature and his character to the whole entire creation. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. And I won't be ashamed to be a Christian. I'll be standing up strong and proud and boasting in his presence. And you know what else it says? It says that I'm going to be changed into the glory that reflects him as well. I'm going to share in his glory, that my sin and sickness is going to be gone. My frailty is gonna be gone. I'm gonna be athletic, I hope. I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna not be borne down by my sin and my weakness. I'm gonna stand glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ with the same kind of body that he's standing in, with the same kind of character that he's standing in, and I'm gonna be boasting in his work that done. And you know what's gonna happen? He's gonna redeem all of creation. Creation is gonna be remade, a new heaven and a new earth that he's gonna rule and reign over, and the lamb will lie down with the, with the lion. And all that has been wrong will be made right. And every tear will be wiped away. He's coming again in glory. And I rejoice rejoice in the hope of that glory. Not hoping like I hope it comes like I hope uh, the Chiefs win tonight, but a hope because I know what has happened back here, it will surely happen in the future. You know what that means? That means that I, just like you if you're a believer, I'm playing with house money in this life. It doesn't matter what this world throws at me because of what happened here and what will happen here. Man, that changes everything. Well, this, one of the things that this is pointing to is that the work of Christ on our behalf didn't just happen back then. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about it mentally. He did that and he's going to come again. But what this is saying, the thing that the truth this is pointing to is that for the believer, we have a personal spiritual experience of the peace and the hope and the love that this passage is talking about. I experience in my soul a taste of the redemption that Christ accomplished and he will consummate at the end. That's how it creates rejoicing. That's how we experience the peace of God. And it creates a hope within us. The work of justification that Jesus did was so powerful that that the Holy Spirit affects what he has done within us and we taste and we experience it for ourselves. And it's a weird thing for a Christian Because we still live, our bodies are the same, we're still sinful, I'm still prone to do the wrong thing. The the world is not everything that will be whenever he returns, and yet there's this now, not yet. This now that Christ has come and is redeeming and has justified me, and one day it will come again. It's not fully yet what it will be, but it is already. And I start to experience that and taste that in my soul. And here's the truth, if you've, it doesn't mean that I always experience it and taste it as strongly as I do other times, but that it's always there. And, and if you're here, and this is important, and you have said, hey, I'm a Christian, and you've been around church a long time, and you mentally believe that there's Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, that the Bible is true, but you've never experienced in your soul this sense of, peace and this sense of hope and this love that we're getting ready to see, if you've never experienced that, then perhaps, probably, you haven't experienced regeneration yet. You need to become a Christian. Because something happens whenever we place our faith, by that free gift that is offered us, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we are born anew and again within our soul, and His Spirit is poured out within us. Look at this. This is how it changes us. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because, here's why, because God's love has been poured out or effused or in a great measure has been not sprinkled, not placed, not offered, but has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know what that means? It means that there is a limitless supply of personal love for the believer to experience. That's why our hope doesn't disappoint. So here's what it means. When he says we rejoice in sufferings, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are impervious to suffering that we don't, we're not affected by it, that we say, hey, I'm good no matter what. Like, when you're, you feel this pressure as a Christian, in the middle of something's going wrong, like, hey, I, I'm great, I am just love the Lord, just singing his praises. Whenever your heart's breaking within you, that's not what it means. It's, we experience it as sufferings. But the love of God that is poured into the soul of the believer in the middle of that suffering gives you the ability to endure. And as you endure, all of a sudden you start to see God's working in your character and you start to change and grow in the middle of that suffering. And you have this sense that I wish this wasn't happening. God, I wish you would not do this. I wish I'd, my heart didn't ache like this. I wish I could have a child. I wish I could get married. I wish I didn't, wasn't week to week on my, on my finances. I wish this, my body didn't hurt so bad, but, what I'm experiencing in this moment is that you are changing me. You are working in me. I have this sense that your love is being poured out to me. You're sustaining me. And I also have this knowledge and this hope that you're working something in me for my good that I don't understand is gonna produce something in the end. And I have hope and that hope doesn't disappoint because his love is continually poured out upon my soul. That's been the story of Christians through the centuries. I think it's, to me, it's the most powerful testimony that Christians have. When in the midst of suffering, suffering of all kinds, it could be physical ailments or it could be your suffering because of your stance. It's becoming more and more unpopular in our societies to stand up for Christ. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, by the way. I don't think we should fight that culturally. I think we as Christians should respond in humility and grace because I think it gives us a great opportunity that when we suffer with hope enduring as our character changes being sustained by the love of God poured out upon our soul I think that's the most beautiful picture. Here's a couple of pictures for you. There's this account um, in I think the third or fourth century of the forty mart of these forty martyrs in the area this area of, of Turkey. Uh, they were Roman soldiers who were Christians. And they got in trouble because they would not sacrifice to Caesar. It was required of them to sac- to make this sacrifice to Caesar. And they said, We're not going to sacrifice. And, and they're two people above them came to them and said, you need to change your mind. You have to do this. Caesar has commanded it. You have, and they said, but it will be worse for us if we sacrifice to Caesar and we acknowledge him as God when we serve the one true God, we won't do it. And so here's what they came down and said to in order, they wanted to make an example of these believers. And so they said, here's what we're gonna do it's the middle of the winter is in Turkey, They said, we're going to strip you down and we're going to put you in the middle of this frozen lake. And around this lake, we're going to offer these warm baths. And we're going to sit you out there in the middle of this lake until you recount, naked exposed to the elements, until you recant your allegiance to the God of Christianity. And if you don't, you will die exposed to the elements. But if you do, these warm baths are waiting for you on the outside out here. Uh, as the light started to go down and and night started to fall and they could no longer see, it was hard for them to see the 40 believers, the 40 naked soldiers in the middle of that lake. And what they started to hear, they heard singing from these believers. And they kept expecting them to, to turn away, to stop. They didn't, kept on going. Kept on going, finally, there was one soldier who barely made it and crawled to the edge and said, I give up. He was so weak from exposure to the elements, they, as soon as they put him in the warm bath, he died. But here's the thing that happened. One of the soldiers standing around the lake watching saw, as he was looking in the middle, light shining above these believers as they were singing. And he said that he saw the spirit, he saw spirits, the uh, angels ready to accept and draw these believers into heaven. And he said, I will not let their number go broken. And he threw off his clothes and ran to the middle of the lake and they fell on all 40 now again. And the next day died. There's a story of a, another man who, Uh, was gonna be burned at the stake as a heretic because uh, of his beliefs in Christ. And he had a a cellmate who told him, I'm very afraid. Burning at the stake is an incredibly painful way to die. He said, I know that we've been believing that God's grace is sufficient for us, but I'm concerned, I'm afraid. He said, please do this for me. Whenever the flames engulf you, If you find that God's grace is sufficient, raise a finger so I can know. The next day as he was bound to the stake and the flames were engulfing him, in his, literally his charred hand, he held up two fingers, more than sufficient, more than enough. I don't say those stories to gross you out. Here's what I'm saying this to to encourage all of us in this room that no matter what situation that you are in, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how hard the situation may be that you're going into, no matter what we face in life as believers, The objective finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf ensures us that he will be glorified and we will meet him and we will be with him in a glorified state. And his love that is poured out, effused upon our heart is enough to sustain us. It's more than enough to sustain us even through the heartache, even through the pain, even through the most difficult time with rejoicing in the hope of glory. That's a powerful picture. And that's what I hope in all of our lives the people around us see. Most of us probably won't face something as dramatic as either of those two stories. But I pray that through endurance and growth in our character and hope, his love being poured out and upon our souls, that the people around us would see something that stands out to them, that would glorify Jesus.